In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. A researcher on the power of persuasion was conducting an experiment in light of a sign that he saw at the entrance to the petrified forest in an Arizona state park. The sign upon entry that greeted every visitor stated a very big problem that they had. The sign in bold print read for all to see, your heritage is being vandalized every day by theft by losses of 14 tons per year of petrified wood stolen often at a small piece at a time. It appealed to the moral uh, outrage and nature of individuals and this researcher wanted to know to what effect that sign was having upon park goers. So he conducted a little experiment. He took pieces of petrified wood um, and he and his team would scatter them on various walking trails throughout the park. On some of the trails they posted no sign and on other trails they posted a sign uh, calling attention to the need to not uh, steal the petrified wood as tempting as it may be. You know what his results were. On the paths where there was a sign, people were three times more likely to take the wood than on the paths where there was no sign at all. Why was that? Well, apparently, those signs appealed not only um, to the moral side of individuals, but also appealed to another side of the human condition um, and revealed, as laws often do, the reason for which they exist and the goal that they try to achieve, namely, in trying to keep us on a path. Uh, our collect this week uh, is, is certainly a rich one that collects the theme of this week, and it points to this in, in a nod, as it should, uh, to St. Augustine, who said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts try to find rest in these ways, seeking after desires, in every form and fashion. And yet, no matter how much we attain or, or achieve, whatever our desires or goals may be, we find that even in attaining them, our hearts still remain restless until they are at rest in the Lord. So with that theme um, that runs throughout all of our readings this morning, I'd actually like for us uh, to center in or zero in upon Paul's letter uh, to the Romans in, in chapter 7 perhaps the most difficult of the readings, um, both literally to read through this passage without tripping over it, um, and to see uh, the nature, this really this, uh, this discourse that Paul puts forth, uh, to lay forth uh, what we see this morning, and that restlessness of the heart therein, and then what we do as a result of it. So if you have your Bible, open, open to it with me to uh, chapter 7, beginning in verse 12, or you can follow along on the screens as well. Um, we enter into this passage really kind of in the, in the heart of this whole discourse that Paul has, uh, mostly in chapter 7, but, but even leading up to it, about the nature of the law as it pertains to sin. And we jump in before we get into this section um, that, that Paul kind of personalizes, arguably not for himself, but to personalize it um, for all of us in relation to that. In verse 12, we kind of pick up at a, at a point that, that Paul drops in about the law by noting that the law is holy 
and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So we articulate that as we just did in Psalm, 19, or Psalm 19, right? That um, the commandments of the Lord are good. They, they, are, they revive the heart. Um, that they call uh, our eyes to, to focus on that which is good and holy and right. So what Paul wants to set up right off the bat is that it's not the problem of the commandments um, that are the issue. The issue, as he then will point out in verse 13, is this. Did that which is good, namely the law, bring death in me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through that which was good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond all measure. And then he points to this, this nature that the law is spiritual uh, and certainly um, has been pursued as such, but we are of the flesh. We should think there in verse 14, before we back up, as we'll spend a little more time in verse 13, um, of John's opening chapters of his gospel, right? That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Um, uh, they, they can't become, they're, they're oil and water. Um, and so what Paul wants us to see in verse 13 is the law did exactly what it was intended to do. And the law here, to qualify that, um, is not just moral laws. He's talking specifically about the Old Testament law, um, the Mosaic law that we see housed uh, therein, of which we heard a portion um, in the Ten Commandments, of course, in Exodus. And what the law was intended to do is exactly that. Paul's building this, this beautiful argument, really, that the law, through the commandments, paints sin to be sin. In fact, so much so that it magnifies sin to its full height in order that must be dealt with and addressed. And so um, it's, it's interesting to think about well, what, what Paul's really pointing to here, which comes as no surprise to us, is really the state of the human heart, the state of the soul. Um, nothing external, even the law itself, can change that. And that was the very point. Paul argues that that's why God gave Israel the law, that the more they clung to the law, the more that sin was made to be sin. The harder that they clung to that, the more it magnified the problem. And we see that actually in our reading from, from John this morning, right? I mean, here is the prime example. Here's your case study. At, at the temple, where they do what? They fulfill the commandment, worship the Lord your God. They come to do that. Um, in the outer courts, the court of the Gentiles, um, they come in to make sacrifice to the Lord. Um, they bring their offering in two ways, one of which is through coins. And they remember, the law says, you shall have no graven image of anything in the heavens above or the earth beneath. And they realize that their coins have an image and likeness of a human being, more often than not the emperor. So how do they fulfill the law? Well, they fulfill the law by exchanging that coin for a type of coinage that doesn't have a face on it. But in that process, there's money changers, there's money to be made, there's profit, there's other things. So we see that the law doesn't really do anything but produce more problems and magnify the condition of the human heart. And it just magnifies the problem even more. So that's why Jesus drives them out. You've missed, you've missed the point. Uh, same with, with sacrifices, right? The animals here. Well, you know, for convenience, if you're coming from far away in a region of Israel, you don't have to bring everything with you. You can show up and you can purchase that. 
Obviously, it's a temple court, so they don't haggle like they do in the markets, but there's still, you know, a bit going on. So imagine trying to prepare your hearts for that while you're trying to settle in on, you know, uh, exchange fees and a a cost for an animal that you're going to go in and sacrifice. In a sense, Paul's saying, see, here's the problem. And that was the goal of the law all along, to paint sin red for what it is so that it might be addressed. So how does it get addressed? Well, paradoxically, by the fulfillment of their very law that no one could fulfill, that only God himself can do in Christ Jesus. That's where we, where we end, right? So as we move into this section, Paul wants us to see that nothing external to ourselves can fix the problem that is within ourselves. That's the state of the human soul. And Paul is not just talking here to those of you who are unconverted, as though this is some sort of an evangelistic tool um, to say, look, you're, you're terrible and horrible, um, and, and once you, you know, come to faith in Christ Jesus, all is well. In a sense, he turns us in. Remember, he's writing to Jewish Christians and converts of the faith, and he's pointing out that even within them, there is this, this problem. And that's where... He drills down in perhaps uh, one, of, one of the most profound and yet um, um, challenging portions of Scripture here. As he goes back and forth, I don't understand my own actions, um, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. For now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that's good. So if I deny myself, I, I align with the law, and that's good, but there's another, there's another desire at work within me. Not I who do it, but then sin who dwells in me. For I know nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. While I have a desire to do what is right, I don't have the ability to carry it out. So I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not do is what I keep on doing, he continues. And I do not do the good I want. Now, I do what I do not want. It is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So what Paul is pointing to here and is worth noting, and we can see it, It feels like there's this back and forth and back and forth every verse, and that's intentionally what he's trying to do. He wants us to see the tension. He wants us to see the struggle, and that's exactly what he's trying to call forth, that even for those of us who have come to faith in Christ Jesus, who have been cleansed through the waters of baptism, that it doesn't always mean that the struggle immediately ceases. And that's Paul's point. But the struggle is the sign of life. It's in the struggle that our salvation is being worked out. And so he's doing two things very subtly here, um, one of which uh, we have to be careful to dismiss right away. This is not permission to say, well, you're going to mess up anyways, so just don't worry about it. Um, there is that sense at time, we're freed from the law, therefore, you know, just carry on and all will be well. Well, that misses the point, that, that oversimplifies the point. The point is not that, while all will be well, and we can have assurance of our salvation in Christ Jesus, that's a whole other topic, but what Paul is saying is that it's in the struggle that there's signs in the warfare that God is at work in you that God is wrestling that out in you. And in fact, take heart because of that. Don't dismiss the fact that we say, well, I'm going to mess up anyway, so why try? That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that if you really try to work it out, it's going to be really hard. I mean, you're what, almost halfway into Lent now? 
if you chose to take on or give up anything, how's that going? <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, I forgot. I, you know, I really miss bacon on Fridays. Or, you know, yeah, I forgot. Um, I, I had this thing I was going to give up, and I had all these grand aspirations to create more time, and yet there's another law at work in me that wants to wrestle that out. I want to do that. I want to do that, which God calls me to do. But I find within me there's some gravitational pull that draws me in this other direction. That doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. That means you're human and that we're called to stay on the path. And we work that out. And so Paul's pointing to the struggle. He wants us to see the struggle and to say that it's in the struggle that your salvation is being worked out. And so press on, persevere, and keep after it. Because the solution he points to in the end of our reading is this. And then we'll talk about what does all this mean for us in practicum right now. Um, He points in verse 21 and following. He, He almost just draws this out in case we miss it. Um, So I find that to be a law that when I want to do right, evil's close at hand. I delight in the law of God. Again, here, this this is about believers. I want to do that which is pleasing to God. But in my inner being, I see in my members a war waging against the law in my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that is in that dwells in my members. So then here it is. He's just he's begging the question at this point, wretched man that I am, who delivers me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I serve the law of God with my mind, but in my flesh I serve the law of sin. We see the struggle this side of the veil. Paul wants us to recognize that, and he wants us to not lose sight of the solution. The solution was Jesus when we came to faith. The solution is Jesus as we're working out our faith. The solution will be Jesus when he returns and sets all things right. I think in the West, uh, in the Western church, um, one thing we miss um, is the struggle and actually working it out. We show up, but we show up as we want to show up before others, and that's unfortunate. Outside of recovery rooms, very little work is done to show up fully as we are, with others before the Lord. That's a scary thing. I know, you know, where those areas are where that war is raging. And unless one of those things gets so big that it overcomes us in a way in which we have to acknowledge it and deal with it, we often put on our nice facades for everyone else to see. And that's unfortunate because Paul's saying the work of the church should be to work those things out so that you can help one another and that we can spur one another on to not quit that journey until we see that resolution in Christ Jesus face to face. I think that's why um, Bible studies in small groups are a lot easier to do with a study than they are to actually talk to ourselves about what is that actually asking of me. Um, I now have to articulate that, and I have to ask someone to hold me accountable to that. Um, Would that the church borrowed back in some of these things from recovery movements to say, I have no power in myself to overcome this, but for the grace of God, and I need others so that when I talk about when I trip and fall and when I overcome, you are there to hold on to me and say, continue on, get up and go on your way, or likewise to say, well done, even if it was just for an afternoon. The church needs to be about that, and Lent focuses us in on this so that we recognize the state of the human heart once more, 
And that we also recognize in the state of the human heart the struggle that is being worked out so that in the midst of the struggle we're called to remember that that is a work that God is doing in us every single day. And that we are called to reorient ourselves and to point one another and uh, our, our own hearts and lives back to the solution in Jesus. You proclaim it as part of the Eucharistic uh, prayer every week. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Lent calls that to the forefront time and time again and says, persevere, work out your faith daily, and assist one another toward that end. So as you continue on this journey in Lent, don't beat yourself up um, if you're having a hard time in those areas. But I'd encourage you to share that with somebody and ask for somebody to pray for you about that and do the same for someone else. That's what the church is intended to do to strengthen one another as we continue on that journey and remind one another that the solution is, has, and will be Jesus until the struggle and the strife is fully complete as we then are made fully as he is on that final day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.